Welcome to FIA Speaks, a podcast at the centre of the futures, options and listed derivatives markets and the interesting people who work in them, run exchanges and regulate this industry. FIA's mission is to support open, transparent and competitive markets, protect and enhance the integrity of the financial system and promote high standards of professional conduct. Please note we have a lengthy disclaimer that I encourage you to listen to or read at FIA.org. But in short, this podcast is meant to be informative about this industry and should not be relied on for investment advice. And now, here's your host, FIA President and CEO, Walt Lucan. Welcome to FIA Speaks, a global markets podcast. In this episode, we're pleased to talk with Innovate Finance CEO, Charlotte Croswell. Ms. Croswell is no stranger to our industry. Before joining Innovate Finance, Charlotte spent most of her career in finance and market infrastructure roles running an exchange for NASDAQ among several roles. And she was one of the first female exchange leaders in our industry, serving on the London Clearinghouse Board, running international business development for the London Stock Exchange, and beginning her career with Goldman Sachs. She has a fascinating background that has landed her in her current role with Innovate Finance. Welcome, Charlotte, to FI Speaks. Well, thanks, and uh, great, great to have this uh, conversation with you. Very much appreciate it. Well, I know many people are familiar with you from our industry, but may not be familiar with Innovate Finance. So can you give us a little bit of background of what is Innovate Finance and how did you come to lead the organization? Um, Thank you. And it is is a very unique organization. So we talk about us being the industry body for UK fintech. Um, And that's, you know, I think people understand roughly what that might mean. When you look at our daily workload um, and what we focus on, it's actually quite unique to even an industry body. So we are a not-for-profit, independent of government industry body. Um, But because the fintech sector um, has has obviously done so well in the UK and thought leaders across the world, we also spend a lot of time working with government as well as lobbying against them. So really, our work is to to promote the UK fintech sector and support the companies within it. Um, It's to lobby for those changes where we need to. Um, And uh, particularly through through the COVID-19 crisis, obviously, working very closely with government, with regulators and with the big financial services incumbents. Um, And really looking at some of the international opportunities for our fintechs as well, as they start to export their products how can you know the work we do build those relationships with overseas markets um and you know take them into into different overseas geographies and and look at what that means for them and understand that so you know there's something called fintech bridges um here in the uk and a fintech bridge is actually where we align with an overseas market with government to government regulator to regulator and industry to industry And we very much fulfill that industry piece of being the voice of UK FinTech, but ensuring also we support our members within it. Um, Our members are anything from uh, the largest US investment banks through professional services, consultancies, law firms, et cetera. And obviously the majority of our members are the FinTech companies themselves. That might be a five person startup who's looking to understand how they're going to advance their products. Or it might be someone who's into uh, unicorn status um, and has hundreds of employees that they're trying to work out where they go, where they go next. And they'll talk to us either for, you know, to enhance with partnerships with big financial services organizations or how they're going to compete against it. 
Well, it's interesting because your early part of your career was with more traditional financial firms um, and more uh, infrastructure exchanges, CCPs. Uh, but now you're you're dealing with early stage companies. How has that shift been for you? Um, you know, something with traditional infrastructure to now companies, like you said, that might be five individuals. That must be interesting and exciting. It, it certainly is. And you know, in my early days, back in the 90s, um, which doesn't seem that long ago, but <laughs> 20 years ago, I was actually responsible for the technology sector for London Stock Exchange. So that was where I went after after Goldman Sachs. And what that meant is we were looking at the tech sector, predominantly in the UK, um, and looking at raising money for that sector. And I went through that 99, 2000, you know, boom of tech, um, fragmentation, and then ultimately cons- consolidation in the sector as well. So a lot of my you know, early career was actually spent around tech companies, um, you know, both large and small and looking at the financing of them and how to raise money both privately and publicly. So actually I feel like it comes to a full circle. You know, I then spent the next year, 15 years, really involved obviously much more on the financial services side. Um, so when I decided to leave NASDAQ and do something different, it was no big surprise, I guess, to combine my love of technology. Um, and I did learn to type in a manual typewriter, so you know, I'm, it's not something that came naturally. Um, but you look at that technology and the scope of technology and you know, the potential it had, and how that is innovating financial services you know, and then come into the fintech sector um so i feel i feel that actually you know, the whole of my financial services career has really led led to this moment and you know just an amazing opportunity to look at what's coming next in financial services um uk's been one of the you know one of the markets that's been really early to embrace the fintech sector both you said from industry being ready for it from regulators wanting to have a more level playing field, more competition and choice for consumers and businesses, but you know, from financial services firms themselves looking to innovate, you know, looking to partner with firms, but looking to become more efficient. Um, so you know, fascinating you know, times, and actually having had that background in tech, in financial services, and you know, doing a couple of startups myself, and um, but also in the capital raising journey. You has all come into play really as we look at you know, what the sector is doing now and where it's evolving. Well, as the time of this podcast, we're of course in the midst of a pandemic and the economic impact of the COVID nineteen crisis. So, before we dive into the impact on the fintech uh, sector, I did want to ask you: How do you think uh, the finance is doing in general uh, during the p- pandemic? What grade would you give the financial services sector? Um, in the last several months, dealing with the volatility, dealing with the economic tra- uh, contractions and associated job losses. How, how do you think finance is holding up during this time? It's been really interesting when you compare this to 2008. And I very much talk about 2008 being the warm-up act. Um, you know, 2008, obviously, the bailout of the banks, recapitalization. Yeah, and now what have we done through this crisis is the first port of call was for governments you know, around the world, but especially here in the UK, you know, looking to the finance sector for those solutions as well. So that's what's been really fascinating of having those banks alongside government um, saying, you know, how do we solve this? How do we get money to SMEs that otherwise will shut down you know, and putting you know, millions of people into redundancy and being very much part of the solution? You know, what I've been working on as well is, is looking at that role of the fintech sector. So how do we scale some of those rescue packages and ensuring that you know, the distribution channels are more efficient? 
um, you know, I don't think we've quite got there. You know, the, the crisis, as I said, came about 12 months too early for that. You know, we were really seeing fintech break into, um, you know, widespread adoption uh, globally, particularly here in the UK. And, you know, so what, what's been important is for us to look at how the sector can be leveraged as we emerge from the crisis, as we evolve from it. You know, and, you know, and looking at some of the debt you know, burden that's going to be left on SMEs you know, globally and the impact on consumers. So it's, it's been interesting to be able to work alongside the banks you know, through this and very much seeing everyone as collaborative. I think that's, you know, I think that's been testament across the world that everyone has recognised this is a pandemic we have never seen before in modern times. Um, and you know, it's not either banks or fintechs or government or regulators. We have all come together collectively to look at the role different, different parts of that industry can play. And I think that's what's allowed us to get packages out you know, with you know, very fast turnarounds and consultations. In some cases, I think we were all out with rescue packages within you know, a couple of weeks of the pandemic hitting across the world. And now, you know, our role is, you know, as a fintech industry body is to say we didn't leverage the fintech sector as much as you know, I personally would have liked it during the crisis. But, you know, it's so important now that we look to that fintech sector to evolve, to transform our financial services firms going forward, but also to be seen as part of the recovery package. In, in fintech firms, by definition, a lot of the startups that you mentioned are small businesses, and small businesses in particular have been really impacted by the, the COVID-19 uh, crisis. So, you know, some could say that that fintech, because of the crisis, a lot of things have jump-started uh, this, this fintech technology. Um, others says that this is a terrible time for fintech because they are small businesses and, and getting hit disproportionately compared to larger legacy businesses. What, what's your opinion on this? Are, are fintechs, is this going to be a, a jump start for fintech or is it going to be a setback for fintech? Yeah, and it, it, that's a great question, Walt, because you know, some are already seeing the upside from this pandemic. Um, some have pivoted you know, really quickly and, you know, and put in COVID-19 responses and others are seeing, you know, the demand for their services, um, you know, just rise exponentially. So particularly in the reg tech space, you know, as, as, as banks themselves are looking to enhance AML, KYC, KYB technology, you know, as we, you know, as we progress into some of these rescue packages, you know, they are obviously incredibly busy and, you know, and more and more customers coming through. On the flip side, we have other firms such as the alternative lending sector, um, where their back books you know, have been put under pressure before balance. Um, and also they haven't necessarily been leveraged you know, to, to distribute uh, funds, therefore putting their business model up into risk. Um, you know, as we go over you know, the, the months you know, through the crisis and post-crisis, you know, that's gonna be a really interesting you know, model to watch, is who's gonna benefit and who's gonna suffer. Um, you know, anyone you know, who got lucky with timing on funding rounds, a lot of the time these are, these are loss-making businesses because they're in growth stage, you have, have got the, the chance to really you know, rise up and, and be part of that solution. Others, unfortunately, are going to be looking for much needed investment over the coming months. And here in the UK, approximately 50% of capital coming into the sector comes from outside of the UK. And so suddenly you're facing in funding rounds by Zoom. Um, you know, so it's got it's got some challenges there. Um, you know, under EU state aid, there's been in most cases loss-making companies have not been able to apply for the loan schemes 
um, apart from you know, a relative new one called the Future Fund in the UK. So they've had to really look at how they can survive through traditional um, loan programs, not government backed, which is incredibly hard as well. So you know, we have to get through the capital and investment problem. We have to you know, support those companies who can pivot, who can, you know, who can progress forward. And then we have to look at some of the opportunities, as you said. And you know, I have been, you know, pleasantly surprised over the last, especially the last two to three weeks, so you know, sort of May going into June of the pandemic, um, sitting there looking at you know, where the overseas markets have been accelerating digital transformation. There's not a financial institution that I can think of that I'm talking to who isn't accelerating that transformation. They aren't looking hunkering down and saving money they're accelerating that particular piece and therefore the fintech sector will stand to benefit. Now you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation this the importance of partnership um, and in particular um, you know the, the role of the, the UK government and in innovate finance um, but you know I, I know the FCA the regulatory uh, market regulator in in the UK, along with the US CFTC, both have uh, so-called sandboxes or incubators to help new fintech companies gain a foothold in competitive markets. But I'm curious, philosophically, um, there's there's different views of how government should play a role in the fintech space around the globe. You know, some nations have more of a hands-off role, and we want to make sure that you know people are given a fair shake. Um, others are very um, more more of a, a, a partner um, with the fintech firms themselves, helping them advance those fintech firms and their their technology. You know, what what is the role of government to play here in fintech, and and or should should government stay out of it and allow fintech to develop on its own merits? Um, what's what's your view of that? I believe in the early stages of digital transformation that having that real crucial support from government to government regulators, policymakers is really important. Um, you know, and that's because you do have to put the suite of packages together um, and having a competition agenda you know, is absolutely crucial to this. And we saw this in the UK with the FCA, the regulator you know, being the first around the world to have a regulatory sandbox. And that has been copied and pasted many times over into, into, into markets. Um, and you know, just in April 2020, we saw an announcement from them on a digital sandbox as well. So if they take the next stage of that sandbox and move it forward. And I think those things have been really important to ensure a strong foothold um, for a fintech strategy. Um, you know, having government support on some of the overseas promotion, you know, on the investment journey, on the export opportunities for UK fintech has been incredibly important as well. And we have sent many fintechs on many different trade missions around the world that have resulted in some really great business for them and some opportunities there, as well as those relationships across you know, to overseas governments, etc. So there is definitely a role to play for government and regulators. Um, and if we look at the Singapore market, you know, they have the slight advantage. They have government, industry and regulators working alongside you know, really closely. And that has allowed them to put comprehensive packages you know, through the crisis, but pre-crisis as well, to really kickstart the fintech agenda. Um, you know, in the UK, we had something called PST2, Payment Services um, Directive 2, which came out of Brussels. Um, but the UK actually went one step further and brought in open banking. 
and open banking, you opened up the APIs to bring the data coming in from those big financial institutions into the fintech sector. Again, you without that, we probably wouldn't have seen so much progress coming up in competition. So, you know, but it, it, we still needed the fintech companies to go and take advantage of that to drive forward that agenda to work with um, your policymakers around how that gets framed, and then to look at how it evolves as well. So it does need a it needs a, a bit of everything. You know, government can't do it on their own. There's no doubt about it. Industry can't do it on their own. Um, but we have seen you know, quite a closely aligned strategy. What always surprises me, having I mean, worked for US firms versus UK firms here in the UK, it is very common when we're discussing fintech strategy that we would have both regulators, you know, Bank of England and FCA, sitting around a, a board table with big financial institutions, with the fintech companies, with government departments, collectively sharing that knowledge. Um, you know, that's not a regulatory conversation, that's looking at what needs to be done. You know, and that's quite unique. Um, compared to the US, where it'd be pretty unlikely you'd go down to you know, down to a regulator and you know look at what could be the art of the possible and how you could how you could manage to start a new business. Whereas here, that's very much seen you know, by a ge geographical advantage. That's quite the norm. You would bring them into the conversation and test those out, and that has definitely helped and advance you know, the the agenda here. You know, I was amazed. I served on the Life Board uh, for a couple of years, and I remember the FCA would. Uh, be a part of those life board meetings uh, occasionally. And it was so foreign to me as a, a U.S. citizen to actually have the regulator sitting at the table. So that is that is part of the, the U.K. culture to really have partnerships uh, with the regulatory authorities and trying to move the businesses forward. So that is unique and, in my view, maybe an advantage for the U.K. I think it definitely helps because you can then look at it and you can test it out. And people aren't concerned about them being a regulator. You know, they, you know, they're sometimes part of the solution. You can actually go and brainstorm with them. Um, you know, so when we look at the cohorts coming through the sandboxes, we would actually promote that and encourage them to phone them up, talk to them, establish their business. As part of the digital sandbox, we will be supporting the regulator as they roll that out. You know, and that's us as an industry body. But it is funny when I talk to the US, you know, US members, whether that's US investment banks or big tech, you know, they think that's obviously quite strange <laughs> for us yeah. to sit there and invite them into a regulatory round table. Um, but for us, it's, you know, it, it's very much the norm and it's not seen as a regulatory conversation. It's seen as getting a, you know, a group of people together to look at you know, advances. Um, certainly through the crisis, we've seen that accelerate. You know, we've had, you know, they, they said collaboratively, there has been you know, an awful lot of work done across all the parties. Well, I know we're now in a post-Brexit world, and so the UK is, I think, getting its its sea legs of independence about it, and maybe entering into free trade agreements with with Europe and the rest of the world, including the United States. Um, so, tell us a little bit about the US-UK innovation partnership. How how is um, a post-Brexit innovate finance trying to help? Uh, with trade agreements and trying to make sure that uh, UK fintech companies are able to have access to markets around the globe. Certainly, you know, we've been very involved in talking to you know, to government about you know, what fintech would like from through trade agreements, but also some of the advantages it has as well. And you know, we've had an incredible amount of inbound you know, inquiries from overseas markets on how they can set up a fintech hub you know and how the uk's done it so you, know, you look at some of those economic dialogues you know we often you know, we often participate in those 
just giving knowledge around you know, what's been done in fintech and how we've seen that evolve. And said back to my point earlier, we we have to we have to look at government regulators and industry and how we've collectively done that together. As we go into trade you know, negotiations and trade deals, we obviously want to identify what the sector, especially services sector, you know, would like from those trade deals because it's not you know it's obviously not um, not goods and what's important. So that could be you know, regulatory bridge. It could be um, it could be help with the investment side. Um, it could be exchanging of knowledge. It could be said you know, deals done with particular regulators. And you know, if you tell me which, re which regulator we should focus on in the US, you'll you'll be doing a huge favour there. <laughs> but, it's, you know, but it's you know, but that's that's the type of discussion we have as we look to export you know, some of the UK fintech solutions, but also importantly, you know, look at the foreign you know, the FDI opportunities for us to bring fintech companies, overseas banks here into the UK. It becomes very much of a two-way process. And needs to say, you know, fintech is coming up a lot in those conversations, um, you know, and, and we're very supportive of that and, and looking at how that can help our own membership, but also, you know, how it, it profiles you know, the sector as a whole um, and gives us opportunities for the future. So part of FIA's mission, um, of course, is, is to promote innovation. And every year we have our Innovators Pavilion in Chicago at our, our Chicago Expo trade show, um, where we feature 20 or so companies and the innovative ideas. Um, and I'm always fascinated. And we, we, do, a, we do a Shark Tank uh, competition that, that uh, ends up with the Innovator of the Year for, for FIA. But I'm always amazed at the, the wonderful ideas that come out of that. And then we track um, the successes of those companies over the last, you know, five to seven years that we've been doing this. So it's, it's really fun for us and a, a big part of trying to get an on-ramp into our industry. But you, you are a veteran of our industry. You ran a derivatives exchange for NASDAQ. You have been a part of our industry for a long time, know its DNA. What are the trends you're seeing in our specific industry um, that are exciting and, and that people should keep an eye on? I mean, certainly the, the problem with, with capital markets innovation is the procurement process um, you know, is, is pretty torrid. Um, and we're seeing that, of course, retail banks and you know, and investment banks. And that's been a challenge, you know, since you know, certainly since my um, you know, my startup exchange days. You're know, not just working for large exchanges as well. Is how do we onboard um, you know, new technology into banks? You know, how do we make that more efficient? Um, and I think that remains a challenge. You know, so, are you best partnering with a fintech company, um, or are you best you know, implementing that technology? And that sometimes you know, is a pretty complex uh, system, as you all know. And you know, and I often sort of make different jokes about the 70 to 100 signatures it takes to get a new piece of tech onboarded into a bank and the fact that it, it always sounds like a six-month process but ends up being 18 months and that's been the frustration you know, from the fintech sector is how do they work with banks when they're trying to put technology solutions in not partner with them over something that stands alone but how do they make core changes and I think that that is you know that has been a challenge and it will continue to be a challenge we we in the UK have done some work with the banks over procurement processes, over procurement timelines, and actually set out you know, suggested standards for banks to adopt. You know, we sometimes you know have a a an investment bank or a retail bank you know, hold office hours with fintechs of how best to go through that procurement process to ease it. But I think that is the challenge: is how do you get through the myriad of system changes that need to be done to bring the new tech 
or do we focus on innovation more on middle office and back office um, which potentially could be a little bit easier so you said you take on, on break tech you look at um, you know some of the advances we're seeing in advancing in legal on um, machine machine learning looking at regulatory handbook handbooks etc and is that the easy way to go so there would you know no doubt the banks will make it you know, make the changes needed to bring new tech in but i think that's been the frustration from from the sector is really getting clear guidelines clear process looking at the, you know the signatures there you know, doesn't investment help or does it actually hinder sometimes um and how can they you know, how can they learn how best to do it and, and that's been a bit opaque and, and unfortunately changes from one bank to the next um so it's not something they can learn from and then copy and paste into the next bank um so i think that's that's where we need to we need to change we need to get we need to get quicker and the last thing i think any financial institution wants is to agree to use technology and then you know that fintech company rely on that technology coming in and then effectively it runs out of cash while it's still trying to implement it um so we have to we have to get better as an industry in in helping that putting out some clear timelines um and and then adhering to those in innovate finance you guys have put out standards and recommendations on how banks uh can can quicken that process. I'm, I'm just that may be something that we can try to direct some of our members to those types of documents. If you guys have come out with recommendations there, we we worked quickly um, with something called Tech Nation, which is um, is partly funded by government, as well, looking at something called the FinTech Delivery Panel, and worked across the banks to publish those standards. And we've had you know, we've had some really great feedback from the FinTech companies of how those could work. So it's called something called PAS 201, for those who want to get technical. Um, you know, that's that was a base, you know, it's still more work to be done. Um, and then and then what we've done with individual banks is really look at the key people that a FinTech company should be engaging with. And you know, as you will know, it's you know sometimes it's the business side, sometimes it's the venture side, sometimes it's the it's um, innovation um, head, and those can be very different. Sometimes it's technology. Um, so we have encouraged our banks as well to, on a case by case basis, to really sit down and put out you know that that information to the sector of how they should you know, should approach it when they're looking to do business with that particular bank. So we've done a combination of both trying to get you know, all banks to sign up to the same standards you know in procurement has been incredibly hard as you can imagine so uh, you know the base stays a little low but we are trying now to 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 drive that forward um but instead you know, as well so in addition you know looking at how we can then layer on the individual banks requests um and that's been incredibly important but the, you know the, the sector is going to continue to transform it's continue to drive it you know, the crisis, you know, the pandemic is really going to drive through that digitization um, agenda and transformation agenda. It's also going to drive through the next round of cost cutting as well. You know, so how many more jobs are going to go to digital machine learning, AI, what's that role there? You know, and how does the end consumer and business that you know, firms are doing business with, you know, what is their you know, expectation? So I, I, you know, I firmly believe that in asset management, in insurance, that's going to be the next big part of evolution that we're going to see. They've been a bit behind the banks, and there's no doubt about it, you're going to see you know, some significant changes there. 
Well, turning to another important topic and, and one I think where you have been a role model is the issue of diversity in the financial services industry and also in fintech. As I, I mentioned earlier, you were one of the first female exchange leaders in our industry. Um, and now you spend time in the fintech industry trying to think through how to provide an on-ramp for diverse talent uh, into the fintech industry. I know both um, finance and tech have suffered from a lack of diversity over the many years that um, they've been struggling on that topic. And we at FI launched our own diversity initiative 15 months ago to try to raise awareness and increase inclusiveness in our industry. But in the current seat that you're in, what are your recommendations on how organizations can bring a greater diverse talent uh, into fintech and finance overall, and and what do you see are the barriers of that diversity uh, coming into those those sectors? Yeah, and it's a question I you know, I struggle with the answer on this world because part of me says yeah we're evolving the conversations getting better we continue to put it forth you know front and foremost of every conversation and we are there is no doubt about it there's nowhere to hide now you know, it's just you know, the industry as a whole needs to have a diverse and inclusive working culture and workforce um you know, we need to reflect the customers the end customer that you're you are looking to serve and you know, and whether that's you know their their where they started in you know in life from social mobility to the kind of their skin or their gender is absolutely essential that must go through you when i sometimes take that stock and you know, are we making real change you know Yes, we're making changes in culture. Yes, we're, you know, the conversation is always front and foremost. You know, we never see panels now of all, all men. Um, but are we really driving it forward as fast as we could do? We look back over the course of my career, over 25 years, um, I think it's still too slow. And FinTech's been interesting, you know, because it, it really does give the ability for companies to offer more you know, different work-life balances, different opportunities. And we talk about working remotely through the crisis, the FinTech sector was able to adapt immediately because it had set that up from day one. Um, but still we see the numbers are disappointing. Now, as you said, fin you know, finance and tech is not known for its great gender diversity, and particularly at some of the senior levels where people did leave the finance industry to go and innovate it. You know, those were you know, more senior individuals and therefore, unfortunately, you know, a lot of those were, were male. I sometimes look around board tables and you know, look at my gender diversity, which is so much better now. But actually, you know, we are all we all have the same color skin. We're all white and middle aged. OK, so we've got women there. We've got men there. But actually, are we really making that inclusive? You know, and I think the, you know, the you know, debate over Black Lives Matter is going to put this front and foremost. And it's really important. You know, we believe you know, strongly in the, in the fintech sector that it is there for the purpose of transforming financial services. And therefore, if the purpose of fintech is to transform and make it more democratic, then we have to look there for where the consumers are. Um, and that shouldn't matter where you went to school, where you started in life, the color of your skin, or what, happened, you know, what gender you happened to be when you were born, you, you should have an equal chance in life. So even you, um, at the you know, in April 2019, we launched something called FinTech for Schools, where we looked at the role of FinTech and how it could educate people on finance, financial well-being and wellness by leveraging the very technology 
um, uh, that you know, we have from our members. And that's been incredibly important. We've used you know, FinTech founders to go into schools to talk about it and talk about finance and talk about entrepreneurship and innovation. And we've heavily skewed some of those role models into younger relatable role models that people can associate themselves with. Um, so yes, we have made progress. Um, it is at the top of the agenda, and I think you, you would agree with me that you know, we are making progress, but is it as fast as we could have made it looking back? No, it's not. And, you know, and I think the, the, the debate over Black Lives Matter has really shown that. We, we focused and tapped, you know, tapped ourselves on the back and said, didn't we do a great job on gender diversity? But actually we've, we've left behind a huge part of you know, other minorities along that road. And, you know, and it's now time to drive that forward for the future and to make our industry representative of who it's trying to serve. I agree, and we just have to, as an industry, do better. Um, and so we're, FIA is committed, and it sounds like Innovate Finance is as well. So we appreciate yep. Yep. those those thoughts. Um, you know, last, I, you know, I, I, I've known you a long time. I think um, I remember first meeting you, maybe it was in Switzerland at a conference a long time ago. But um, every time I see you, I just I'm always uh, love talking to you because you're smiling. You're, you're talking passionately about your job. Um, what is it about this job? Again, I could I could just even though I, I don't see you right now, I know that you you are smiling and, and passionate about your current work. What is it that you love best about your current role? Well, you know, if I look at where I came from, you know, and I came from a small village of 500 people, um, and I always joke that when I turned up at Goldman Sachs on the equities trading floor, you know, that, that trading floor you know, had approximately the same number of people as in my entire village. You know, I, you know, I do still feel incredibly fortunate to you know, have you know, not only given the opportunities, but some of those seize the opportunities that I've had over the course of you know, over 25 years now. Um, and, you know, it's pretty lucky when you get to you know, to to 25 years plus into financial services and you wake up every day and learn something with you um, every single day and look at different challenges and work out how you're going to tackle that. Sometimes you know, that can be a bit of a challenge. You know, it hurts my head looking at some of the new technologies. Um, but you know, how fortunate that to look at my tech days back in the 90s to look through market infrastructure and, and core financial services and be able to leverage those and go do something completely different like running an industry body and advancing fintech or you know through through the covid crisis looking at how we can leverage that technology to be part of the solution you know to look at you know how we can ensure that there is financial inclusion and we have affordable credit for every single person you know across the uk and you know and level up your know, different parts of the uk um and you know as i said to, to make financial services more transparent but not just talk about that but actually be at the very heart of that and be able to make those changes um so that's what i enjoy about the job it, it is the learning it is the ability to make that change and you know and i think you would agree when you're running an industry body and you have your big incumbent institutions who also are trying to change you've got your know, startups there but you have that ability to bring that voice together you know, from around the world and look at making that change and leaving something that you can leave behind you that's pretty unique as an opportunity and that's why i enjoyed my my time in exchanges because you were always at the forefront of, of you know different parts of the you know the sell side the buy side the companies themselves you know the, the end, end businesses and you and i think it's it's incredibly important that we we take the, that challenge and drive forward that change and be able to look back and say, you know, did I did I make a difference? 
and that's what I love about fintech is you know we have that ability to help advance those very companies making that difference and we as an industry body can hopefully be part of that journey. Well, Charlotte, this has been a fascinating conversation. I think we're, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there, but uh, I just want to thank you for your sharing your inspiring story this morning. Thank you for being here. Well, many thanks. And for our audience, we appreciate you tuning in today and for copies of FIA Speaks, go to FIA.org. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you soon. FIA Speaks is brought to you by the staff of the FIA. Steve Adamski is our executive producer. Cameron Lane is our technical producer, with additional technical support from Craig Richardson. We welcome your feedback on these podcasts at fiaspeaks at fia.org. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast's content. Reliance on the podcast content is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of reference to, reliance on or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2019 FIA, all rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.